Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brant. In this episode, we're discussing SST-70, the seven-inch wonders of the world, back-to-back compilations. We uh, Our previous episode was a compilation, and now we've got another one. I'm pretty sure we've been through all of these um, at least once, and some of them even twice, some of these tracks, but it's still kind of cool to uh, go through these again. Lots of favorites here. Um, and we've also got a special guest, Brant. Yeah, we've got Jordan Schwartz on the podcast today. Everybody should check that out. It's a great interview. Thanks to to Jordan for doing it. Yeah, it is a really good interview. We'll get into that uh, after we listen to it. First, Brant, do you have any spiels, my man? I just have a micro spiel today. Okay. So we're talking about Worm tonight, one of the bands on this comp. And, you know, a lot of these bands like Black Flag, you see the same pictures over and over and over. You don't see a lot of worm, and we've been talking in the past couple months about that worm exhumed compilation. There were some great pictures on there, uh, some of, that Naomi Peterson took, but also some I hadn't seen before by Glenn E. Friedman. They were taken at this 1983 concert called The Smoke-In, which was at the Federal Building in L.A., and they're on, on the gatefold of that exhumed comp, and... Uh, it's this lineup, the the three-piece lineup, without Simon Smallwood on vocals. So I reached out to Glenn E. Friedman, who took those photos, and he sent me a few for us to post. So we'll be posting them on our social media. So check us out on uh, Facebook and Instagram, at Pod. And thanks to Glenn for sending those over. And if you haven't been on his website lately, burningflags.com, uh, he's got a really cool blog on there. I'm not sure, you know, how many of his books are still available. You know, you could probably get them through Amazon maybe or through a marketplace seller. But uh, there's some great books like My Rules, Fuck You Heroes. Uh, there's the Dogtown, like the Legend of Z-Boys one. There's the Fugazi one. I think it's called Keep Your Eyes Open. If you are on Instagram, you should follow Glenn too. He often posts pictures and writes little, well, they're not little. He usually writes a, a fair-sized paragraph you know, talking about what was happening when he took the photo and stuff. It's really interesting. So he's on Instagram as well. He's pretty easy to find. So he's definitely one of the most iconic photographers of the stuff that we dig, along with Naomi Peterson, Charles Peterson, too, of course. Um, They're definitely like a handful of folks. Can't forget Ed Culver. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Like there's a handful, half dozen that really defined the look of a lot of 80s and 90s stuff. Well, thanks to Glenn for uh, letting us use those pictures and make sure you check them out. Totally. What do you have, Ryan? Okay, I have uh, I have two spiels. The theme is literature. Ready? Okay, yeah. Okay, so I'm pretty sure you know what my first one, uh, my first mention will be. It's a, a blog and a podcast called Dynamite Hemorrhage. Right. It's uh, it's called Sub Underground Music from the Last Five or So Decades is kind of the tagline. It's a podcast, too. I didn't know that. Yeah. A guy named uh, Jay Hinman does the zine and a podcast. Hmm. And it kind it's like punk, garage, folk, freaks. And uh, I actually think that you would like Dynamite Hemorrhage more than I do. But the reason I checked it out and uh, I ordered... The, the back issues that were available 
Mm -hmm. I on the website you can still get issue two, five, and six, and they're published very infrequently. Okay. Um, but the reason I got issue six was because it has a write-up in it called L.A. Punk Compilations from 1978 to 1983. It's actually called um, 15 L.A. Punk Comps That Made a Man Out of Me. And the last episode on the podcast here was Chunks, and he actually discusses Chunks and the Cracks in the Sidewalk compilation. But here's what he said about Chunks. It's a little... Uh, a little late to the game. I wish I had it last episode, but it's uh, it's still pretty good. And it a lot of it kind of hits on stuff that we spoke about. It says, um, a year after Cracks in the Sidewalk, that's the, the first New Alliance Records compilation that we'll get to later on this podcast, New Alliance Records surmised that this formula had legs and crammed together five outstanding short punkers on the A side. Well, or if you're not fond of the croaking black flag dirge machine, <laughs> as many are not, oh. thereby, thereby the descendants, chiefs, Minutemen, flag, and the stains respectively. And no, the chiefs did not know how to correctly spell their own name and <laughs> suffered and suffered from their ignorance over an entire three-year career. On the flip, there are more arty Minutemen-associated one-timer spin-offs along with a great vox pop track that sounds exactly like 45 grave the bands shared multiple members a downer holiday song with creeped out spoken word from saccharine trust and the genius debut of the nig heist doing their theme song an absolute nihilist shit five masterpiece <laughs> all in all chunks was one of those comps that showed the world that los angeles was the capital of the sub underground musical universe in 1981. And if you take this word for it, you had a question on the podcast, whether that was the Nig Heist debut. This suggests that it was the first Nig Heist recording that came out. So there you go. Oh. There are uh, some really good compilations on here in the, the list of 15 that I am familiar with that we've mentioned before, like the Keats rides a Harley Life is ugly, so why not kill yourself? Life is beautiful, so why not eat health foods? Life is boring, so why not steal this record? Uh, cracks in the sidewalk and chunks, of course. There are a number of ones that... Um, and then it only mentions Rodney on the Rock, Volume 2. There are a number that I had never came across, like one called Public Service, one called Sudden Death. American Youth Report is another one here. So it's a great write-up, and there's a ton of other articles in here and again i actually really think you would like these brent so i'm gonna i'm gonna zip through them before you uh you visit and i'll lend these to you nice on to my next and final spiel on the literature theme brent okay okay so i finished that yola tango book big right. day coming written by uh, jesse jarno and or jarno maybe um and like i said i'm not a big yola tango fan but it does kind of talk a lot about the 80s and 90s indie scene and so i really liked it for that talks a lot about homestead i think i mentioned that last time also matador records as well and the vibe of the book is a lot like a yola tingo song too it's like really kind of laid back but also kind of erratic and chaotic at times so it was kind of good but i'm so now i'm reading a new book though and it's it's called this disco's out murders in the true story of Frank the Shank 
and LA's deadliest punk rock gang. Have you ever heard of that one? I think I have. Yeah, I got excited when you first said that. I thought it was going to be about suicidal tendencies, but then <laughs> no. like, there's no way Ryan's reading a book about suicidal. So no, I hey, I might read a book about suicidal. I won't listen to him though. Um, I think but... I, I think I have seen that like on Amazon. You know, when it suggests other books you might like or something. Totally, totally. Yeah. It's it's by uh, Heath Mattioli and David Spicone or Spicone. What it says, the tagline here, I'll, I'll, I'll read it out. It says, 1980s LA was the epicenter of hardcore punk rock, arguably the most violent youth movement in American history. Most know about the music's impact, but virtually nothing is known about LA's homicidal punk rock gangs and the bodies they left in their wake. Hmm. And um, has a bunch of pictures in it. It's got some Raymond Pettibone artwork. I'm about 20 pages in, but it's a... It's a it's a page flipper. It's kind of written from the first person. These guys interviewed Frank, and then it's kind of written from the first person about like uh, getting involved in the scene, kind of being a young kid and taken under the wing of older punk rockers and taken to all the shows in L.A. and then the violence. And uh, but it's a page flipper so far. Kind of neat. It's, it sounds like there might be some Venice Beach stuff in there, like no mercy and suicidal maybe because they they were like a real gang oh yeah no 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 like they're they, they definitely t i can't remember the names of the gangs or whatever but there are definitely references to a bunch of gangs that are affiliated with certain bands no it does talk about no mercy vicious circle is another one i'm sure yeah, they're going to talk about yeah I, i'm sure that they're going to talk about uh suicidal there's a fair amount of stuff in here that you you read about um, like just to just to list off a bunch of the bands that they talk about, like Agent Orange, Black Flag, Bad Religion, um, Circle Jerks, like all that stuff. Right. And, right. and a lot of the gigs. So there's definitely a lot of SST references as well. So I don't know. It's kind of neat so far. Right on. That's it. Good spiels. With that, Brent, do you want to go to uh, Jordan's interview? Let's do that. History lesson part one. Okay, so we're joined today by Jordan Schwartz. Jordan, thanks for uh, being on the podcast. Uh, you're welcome. You grew up in Southern California, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Santa Monica. Uh, I think maybe there's one thing uh, we should discuss sure. uh, before we get into it. Yep. I would have probably had joined this podcast maybe a little bit earlier, but I was somewhat put off by the title of the podcast. Okay. Explain. <laughs> well, uh, granted, SST is, is known for a broad range of, uh, of material, bands, music, or whatever. But uh, the Mojack part, I don't know, it just kind of implied like, oh, maybe, you know, there are some people that are really, I don't know. I mean, Greg Ginn's a big part of the record company, but then... It, at the end, you know, some of it is the, the, the some of the latter stuff are just really uh, have a problem with it. And sometimes, you know, on the Internet, you get into these stupid discussions with people. I guess you'd call them fanboys or whatever. And it's just, I thought, oh, well, these guys must be just, you know, uh, Royal Wee fanboys or Mojack fanboys. And it's like, I don't know Mojack. I don't want to know Mojack. So it's just, <laughs> just the, the, I just didn't know where you guys were coming from. 
So fortunately, and then all of a sudden you're up to, you know, SSTO 62, X63. It's like, oh, wow. You know, okay, this is, these guys are for real. So that, yeah, it's just the, you know, I think a, a title, because then also you think of the old computer game, You Don't Know Jack, which right. I assume is one of the other inspirations. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, well, I just had, I had to bring that, uh, that rant up first. Well, that's a fair point. I wanted to call the podcast Two Dudes Talking. That was my original title, a, a Minutemen well, reference. But once again, you know, well, that would be spieling. There you right? go. Yeah. Or or shit from an old podcast. That, now that go. would have, yeah that would okay. I'm <laughs> in. I I hear you on the the fanboy stuff. You'll get you know a post about who's the best singer in Black Flag and you yeah, know, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> well, know, no, man, that's okay. People that, can argue about that all day long. It seems you know. Yeah. No, it's just like I don't. I just don't want to argue about the merits of Screw Radio or Royal Week. Yeah. Know? The, I think the 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 actually that's it's 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 for I can understand the who's the best singer of Black Flag discussion although I think that's a it's a you know a, that discussion is over with right there for sure. the the singers are so defined that by you you know you you can't even really get into it, unless you've had a few beers and you know whatever <laughs> so uh, and and for me and actually I'm into I'm into actually I'm into all of them. Uh, or at least the ones I've seen, because, you know, there's one of uh, Black Flag singers, there's one little-known singer that, uh, or person that sang for Black Flag, when it was valid, uh, was uh, Brendan Mullen. Right, who, yeah. uh, Did you see I, that? I don't know. No, hell no, no. <laughs> but I talked, I I was hanging out with Brendan Mullen at the Echo Echo Plex way back when, I mean, he passed away a few years ago, which was really... Uh, really quite a bummer i think there's a lot of negative impacts with him passing away he would have been able to do some more cool stuff yeah but he was telling me the story about how he had kind of sang for black flag for one or two gigs it was just like what that's completely crazy yeah uh, that, but is, course, that is on the record it's it's been noted in a few books for sure cool yeah Good. yeah we've come across that but overall i think the sst specifically the facebook pages those 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 communities are actually pretty good yeah and they're they're both uh policed pretty well it seems like you know this couple of week you get a few more trolls or whatever um but you know that's i guess nature of uh, uh social media for anti-social music mm -hmm. well i i just joined when we started doing this because i not really yeah. a, much on facebook groups but uh, i was surprised by how many sst folks were were on it yeah, well, that's the, I mean, the the social networking, the Facebook, I mean, that's the, actually the trippy thing about the internet, right, is the, the internet is amazing that a, uh, so, uh, people with a very narrow interest can interface with each other, right? Yeah. That's That was the beauty of the internet. And then with social media aspects, applications specifically, facebook have actually made that that kind of dream come true yeah or well, and a dream slash nightmare well it's allowed guys like me way up in canada to to yep. track down people like you or well, yeah you know, and, and and also record the stories because that's the other bit is 
And I think there was a, a posting maybe on that SST page about, but somebody or uh, or maybe it was like I, you know, Spot Spot was doing some, you know, he was doing some interviews, Spot and Carducci, uh, and I actually recorded a couple of those. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was saying, yeah, you got to talk to these people before they, you know, before they all pass away. Yeah. So, you know, it's unfortunate to look at this scene getting old, but it, it's definitely getting old. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talked to Ed Gibson about writing his book that's hopefully coming oh, yeah. out soon. And he says flat out, like, you know, the ability to track people down on social media was kind of the, what, it's, yeah. that's what got the ball rolling on that book, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah. anyways, back to your story. Um, yeah. How did, how did you get into punk yeah, rock? So, Were you... so I, uh, uh, it's my sister Jennifer and I and my mom basically landed in Santa Monica, California, which in some you know, which is kind of north of the South Bay. SST was based in Hermosa. We landed in Santa Monica in about 78. Prior to that, my, my, we have for a little bit, we had lived in, I'd actually lived in Hermosa beach. So okay. I think about uh, 73 to 76 and including, I went to this place, uh, Pier Avenue junior high school. I went to the last year there. It's really cool. Old, or it was a middle school actually. Yeah. Pier Avenue middle school. Um, but the thing is I was actually in sixth grade class with Janet Housden, the drummer of Red Cross. You know, I didn't realize I knew who she was then and she actually got kicked out of the class for talking too much, but, uh, actually ran into her years later when the scene picked up. So, you know, I knew what the strand was, right? Right. So later hearing, uh, there somebody had, in Santa Monica at high school, somebody had written the lyrics to the wasted on a bus bench. And I saw the, the line, I was so heavy. I lived on the strand. I'm like, Whoa, who's, who's writing a hardcore punk rock song about the strand? <laughs> you know, it's like, Whoa. Cause that, that whole, that was that epitome of seventies uh, culture. So anyway, I kind of end up in Santa Monica, uh, and the beach town thing is really, it, it is important for at least the L.A. part of the SST story. Yeah. Uh, and, and eventually met my, uh, met a good friend, who became a good friend, uh, David Markey, right, who you interviewed for uh, SST, uh, for Painted Willie, and I, and I, don't, I don't think you talked to him for the Love Doll Superstars. We style. touched on it a bit, but yeah. Yeah. But we were we were kind of into like new wavy stuff and ska, you know, specials, talking heads, all that stuff. And then got into the Jealous Again EP. You'd know the catalog number yep. for that. I don't I remember. The second but, or third, I think. Yeah, 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 right. That was well, the, yeah, that the was the Ron Rice. That jealous. It was the Jealous Again EP and the Decline of the Western Civ Decline of Western Civilization soundtrack Part One. Just the record. Um, and then also at, uh, Rip City Skates, which was around the corner, I had heard a tape of Fresh Fruit, Dead Kennedy's Fresh Fruit okay. for Rotting. I know your, your partner, right? He's the, he's the Dead Kennedy's head, right? Yeah. So we, we heard both those, like them, yep. and it's like, all of a sudden I'm selling my new wave records, you know, to, <laughs> to, to get, to get hardcore records and, and specifically, uh, Black Flag. But that's why, you know, so this wave started, you know, the, the, Ground Zero, the bomb blast was down in Hermosa. You know, as far as as far as that, uh, well, punk rock was more. Yeah, the, the hardcore punk rock was the whole beach thing. We had missed the 
dismiss the, you know, the um, the Hollywood the stuff. Hollywood scene, right? Yeah. It was a little too insular. Yeah. And, and picking stuff up from, you know, we would the, there was the Rodney on the Rock show, which was on a, you know, Carol Q, a, a major a, a commercial radio station. Rodney Bingenheimer would play three hours of music, including twenty minutes of like hardcore stuff, Germs, Black Flag, whatever he could get his hands on, plus English stuff. Yeah. So we just sit and tape that stuff, listen to just, you know, because right pre-internet, all that stuff was really hard to find out what it was, it, not uh, as well as just actually hearing stuff. So through that, we kind of just got more into it. We went and saw X played at the Santa Monica Civic, which was like a big, big venue, the biggest venue in town. And there, you know, X, you know, that was the, the Los Angeles record was out at that time. I think they played with Alley Cats and the Blasters. So that wasn't a hardcore show, but I saw these people like with these boots and bandanas and all this heavy like leather stuff. And then the, the bars, that's where I first saw the bars. I'm like, okay. oh, oh, <laughs> this is, this is, this is scary stuff, you know, cause we were still kind of new wavy, right. you know, you're starting to like, put it all together though. Oh yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> they're kind of fucking with us. So around that point, we're listening to some shoebox tape and we decide, Hey, with another friend of ours, Alan Gilbert, we're going to start a fanzine. We started a fanzine called We Got Power Magazine. Dave was very creative. Uh, he had been, since he was a kid, he would shoot Super 8 films in his, you know, with kids from the neighborhood, from his backyard. He had also done a fanzine called The Neighborhood Journal, okay. which was just about stuff going in the neighborhood, just weird, whatever. He was just doing, he was doing stuff, doing stuff multimedia. I ran into him. He already kind of had these things going on. So I helped him out with like Neighborhood Journal for a bit. Uh, and then also shooting Super 8 films. He was working on a film called The Ominous at the time, which was a, a scripted thing shot in Super 8 with kids from the neighborhood. And it was a, a, a kind of a combination of The Omen and The Exorcist, but also kind of a, a comedy as well. Okay. So I helped him with that. My sister was with that. That all kind of happened before we got, we learned about hardcore punk rock and DIY. So, when we were kind of listening to tapes and we're like, Hey, we should do a fanzine. It's like, we'd already done a fanzine for the neighborhood. So actually doing a re a punk rock fanzine was, uh, you know, definitely a, a doable dream. Right. So we were able to do that. And one of the, one of the key gigs that we went to, uh, Alan, Dave and I, my sister didn't go, I don't remember what for, there was an SST night at the cuckoo's nest in Huntington beach, you know, it was a Tuesday night school night drive down there. It was descendants, Minutemen, and red cross. Wow. And that was just, Whoa. Cause you know, it's the, there was the hardcore and then there's the SST stuff, right? There were, it was di uh, different things. I don't know if you, Mike Watt had, had talked to you, but they used to have the term weird hardcore. Um, okay. They were playing this gig in Connecticut, and these kids go, "You guys play hardcore. It's great hardcore, but it's weird hardcore." <laughs> you know, so we were getting. I don't know. We were getting into the straight hardcore. You know, fucking black flag, right. circle jerks, crass. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. But then, one well, crass is actually kind of weird hardcore too. That's true. But still, but also, you know, the the Minutemen, um whatever all that other stuff getting into the, the sst stuff saccharin trust oh and sorry how heavy saccharin so we've done we got power magazine for a bit 
for about five issues that waned out but that was the good calling card for us to a do black flag interviews we got to go to sst back in those days you could just call sst you call sst and chuck would pick up the phone right and he just and chuck loved to, to rap so we'd talk to talk to him for half an hour <laughs> you know or, or maybe spot or whatever uh, and then also seeing them at gigs you know it's like they would go, you know, they just get in the van and go to the Saccharin gigs. And Saccharin, Minutemen, and Descendants would play two or three nights a week. And it was in at that time, you know, I'm kind of just out of high school doing going to city college or, you know, had nothing really going. So I was like, oh, this is this is just oh and a, and one of our we got power staffers, Kim Pilkington, had a car and would drive to these gigs. So it was like it, it, it was it, it was perfect. Yeah. And then, you know, Minutemen playing a gig with butthole surfers, you know, and the big boys on, on a Tuesday night or whatever. It was, just, you know, that was just, it, it really was an amazing time. Yeah. More weird was, hardcore for sure. <laughs> fortunately able to, you know, parlay discussions with Chuck. Got, you know, we had interviewed SST. Uh, by the way, we, uh, what, it was four or five years ago, we released a book. Uh, right. called We Got Power. Um, no, for, pe for from... people that don't have it, is that just a straight reproduction of the, I think you said five zines that you did, or is yeah, there no, added stuff to it? Zines, no, it is, it's way more than that. Yeah. Um, it's basically came about, uh, I would, sh I shot a lot of the film, a lot of, a lot of pictures for We Got Power magazine. I was buying film in bulk, developing it and making the prints myself just, I've, just for We Got Power magazine. I wasn't really a photographer per, per se, but, you know, Dave taught me some stuff and right. through his uh, insistence took a photography class or whatever. But I was never really happy with, with the photos. And, and the medium was really tough. I'm not I'm not a photographer. But, you know, I knew guys like Glenn E. Friedman and Ed Clo Culver. You know, they, yeah. they, they were serious dudes. You know, so it's like, I, I can't compete with these guys, you know. Right. But yet... I had shot a lot of cool stuff, but of course in the, the mags would print maybe three or four pictures. But I, at that time I'd maybe shot 20 rolls of things at a bunch of different gigs. Well, all that stuff gets filed away. A few years ago, uh, Dave Markey gets a scanner that has a negative attachment. So it's like, Hey, kids go send me your negatives. Let's run this stuff through. And it all comes out. It's like amazing. You know, the, the software, you know, it's, you don't have to deal with any of the darkroom stuff anymore. Right. Um, software can just, especially for black and white negatives, you can just suck the image right out and twist a couple dials. It looks great. So we thought, hey, we've got 1,200 photos here uh, between my, his and mine. Um, why don't we make a book where the people that are in the photos write a story about what was happening? And, oh, by the way, we can reprint, reprint all five issues of We Got Power magazine, plus the sixth we had started working on before bro, before the whole thing blew up. Right. So that's that's what the book is. So you've got five members from Black Flag writing pieces in there, uh, including, you know, Des Kadena has a, has a piece called Tales of the South Bay. Um, oh, you've got, what, uh, Dukowski, Dukowski. Uh, did a thing called sanity is a lie. Um, also you've got what two SST founders, uh, Carducci. I mean, I, I don't know if he, I don't know if you call him a partner. He was a partner. Yeah. Uh, Joe Carducci uh, does a very intense thing on, on the descendants. Right. Yeah. It's an, it's a beautiful book. I, 
I'm not sure if it's still available, but most oh, yeah, of, yeah. most oh, of that stuff yeah. on Bazillion Points is right, is correct. Really, really yeah. great. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I was just listening to the uh, the first Das Damen record. Okay. Uh, interview and um, and actually, uh, we were going to originally release the book on a static piece. Oh, okay. Book Das Damen. They're they're right. They had originally released on a static piece, and then SST picked it up, which. I didn't remember that, but it, you know, makes a lot more sense to me uh, now. Uh, so, uh, but it, actually, we ended up releasing the book with uh, Ian Christie right. uh, on his bazillion points thing. What is it? The uh, the last word in heavy music. That sounds um, right. Yep. Unfortunately, we came in. He had done a the Touch and Go book, right? Touch and Go. Yep. You could do a whole other series of podcasts on Probably, that. Once yeah. you, what is it? Three hundred freaking SST releases. Yeah. So, you know, Next decade, you can get into that. We'll leave that um, to someone else. Well, by the way, you've also got to get into the new alliance stuff. I totally, mean, are you doing the yeah. releases, or do you do those next? Or I don't you, know. I, I don't you, know. You know what? To keep things interesting, I mean, whatever. I'm I'm a little biased, but to keep things in, when you get around SST 200 or something, you might want to start blending the NAR releases in. Well, they uh, did just, reissues. I think in a couple of weeks from now, we'll be doing uh, chunks, for example, which is oh my god, it's got yes. some great oh, stuff on oh it. Oh, by the way, that was one of the early mind blowing, mind blowing records. Was yeah, a little bit after say the decline, getting the decline or jealous again. Uh, chunks, a compilation. Yeah. Oh my god. There's some. Uh, the, there's some more of that weird punk you were mentioning. Oh my god, uh, the artwork. Well, dude, a Christmas cry. You know, yeah, yeah. Sacred Trust. I, I Sacred Trust. Period. And, well, I don't know if Christmas or yeah, it was Christmas Cry on that. Cracks in the Sidewalk is the other the other heavy. Yeah, those two compilations are just so so intense. Um, you know, Dave and I just be walking around quoting Sacred Trust. You know, I tried to call you, but there was no answer. Doesn't that explain everything? <laughs> just, you know, you don't you don't really get that with you know wasted youth or yeah for you know. sure yeah it's the whole scene was way artier for sure but sir but it like art from like surf dudes you know not yeah. not art from cal art students or something like yeah, that. yeah their own spin on it for sure um so anyway yeah the book the book contains the uh reprints of the mags plus the sixth issue which never got released so it's kind of see that to come out but then these stories as well uh from not only the SST folks, but Red Cross, which were periphery, and and other Tony adolescent, right? Who was just you guys just mentioned him in the, your your side notes. Right. The, in that you were talking about the, uh, I guess you're oh you're you're into the the Jeff Dahl screaming the Bruce Dahl. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> but actually, uh, Tony adolescent writes a really interesting thing about these slam books about ways people would communicate in print and mail and snail mail before internet stuff. Okay. Uh, crazy. You know, it, it, it's the book's worth it. And, but the thing is the timing was good. Ian had released the touch and go book and had some success with that. Mm -hmm. And he had done these like a, uh, uh, metal, whatever, a uh, thing called murder in the front row by Brian Lou, uh, about the early days of, uh, Metallica and Slayer and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, 
so you know he had kind of had his thing going. We weren't the we weren't the first guys through. So I think he actually had bumped up the print run. So the the, the first edition is still in print, and uh, it's it's easy to get, which is which is great. Yeah. Well, people are so, really hungry for that stuff. Like, I know up here the the Toronto hardcore scene just did this book, and uh, it, the first press sold out in like a day. <laughs> yeah. You know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. People well, love looking they, back at and, that stuff. And and the and the documentaries, right? Every yeah. every city has a has a has a document. And I think I think Rollins has a rant about this, but uh, every every city has their own uh, uh, documentary about their their main club or their scene or their band. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's all. That's all good. And most of it's on YouTube or Amazon Prime. So it's like. Hey, works for me. So this yeah. book is another another piece of that puzzle, a, as are the three hundred podcasts for you don't know Mojo. <laughs> so that's a big ass puzzle. Yeah, well, to be determined. We'll we'll see about yeah. that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So at some point, you join the SSD family and and go to work I there. You just pick up the phone and call them and and have a discussion with Chuck. Uh, Chuck and Greg Ginn were what I called very heavy conceptual thinkers. They would kind of talk in these concepts. It's not, not, you know, whatever they were, these, these heavy thoughts and, and, and to hearing them or, and, or Mike Watt or, uh, Carducci or somebody get, watch them guys, how watch those guys have discussions about music were really, that was really intense stuff. Yeah. So I would chat with Chuck at gigs or, um, call him on the phone down at SST. Uh, so there's a point where my mom was like, would love to have me go live somewhere else. Um, <laughs> and, well, and her, you know, her stepdad, she's, she'd gotten remarried, et cetera. You know, fair enough. Yep. Um, and Chuck said, well, Hey, um, black flags on tour right now. This was, uh, I think slip it in tour. And I think it was the, it was the, that fucking, you know, the death ride touring Canada in the middle of winter, right. Which, I don't. I haven't listened to like the slip it in stuff. I don't know if you guys discussed that. But I think you're right, so. Yeah. Canadians, right? You know the, the the impact of that kind of thing. Um, but Chuck's like, hey, uh, you know, a global network, which was a separate from SST. It was the the booking agency and the practice pad. He goes, look, I need a, a press agent to do tour press. Uh, there's an old bus in the back. This was kind of the the I guess you could call it the short bus which they had bought for a tour, but it, they found out after they bought the bus that it couldn't go over 50 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so they just left the, just parked the bus out the tour and got, you know, regular vans. Uh, but he says, Hey, you can live in the bus. We'll give you like a $10 a day per diem and you'll do, um, advance, uh, sending out records or whatever and contacting, uh, radio, you know, commercial radio, college radio, um, press or, or whatever wherever we can get you know fanzines whatever wherever you can get uh interviews uh for the band or or any uh reviews or whatever get any press related to uh the the bands that were on tour so you know i was uh, kind of hired to do uh black flag specifically but then also uh i was able to pick up for a little while meat puppets uh husker do and uh Miniman. Right. Uh, just for doing tour press. And some of that stuff is on 
the um, who's got the ten and a half? That calendar, right? You guys right. went into the yeah. Line. Though the, the, the lines that I had on uh, the horizontal lines on the middle of the days, one was for Husker Du, oh. you know, one stop was for Black Flag, Husker Du, Minutemen, and Meat Pups, because they were all overlapping around that time. Right. And then, and then when somebody would call in, I'd just write random notes at the, at the different corners. So okay. that's what a lot of that, 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 that was kind of that era. Right. Then, so then Chuck on Loose Nut Tour, Swa takes off to do a leg of the loose nut tour and that's that's so now chuck's out on the road phone's ringing off the hook <laughs> so so that's when i made my foray into becoming a, a tour booking agent you know these guys are talking these deals so i'm like yeah i'll, I'll probably be talking to chuck tomorrow okay what's the specifics of the uh, of the particular gig oh yeah you know it was the oklahoma gig you know hey you can get 95 percent of the door oh is this gross door i mean you're not you know i don't even know what the hell i'm saying here but if, <laughs> you're not putting any money up front here so i kind of get this and i pitch it to chuck and say eh, okay yeah we'll take the gig so that was kind of my foray into becoming a, a booking agent at global network booking global the global network agency uh, which was part of sst so it was living there from about some 85 i'm thinking maybe late 84 early 85 okay. through until uh, 88 uh lifted you know with uh, the sst on redondo beach on artesia boulevard and then we moved to the where did we move the place in torrance okay. uh, which is it's some of that's in uh, the exterior exterior is in the film reality 86 uh, then to Long Beach, which was a bigger, that was kind of like this big factory. And then by the time we got to Long Beach, uh, Chuck and I, we, we, Chuck and I became roommates. We actually, he rented an apartment and I was a roommate for him. Oh, okay. And that's why I sent you that article. There was an article in, uh, the Rolling Stone had done an article about alternative music or independent labels, whatever. Yeah. July, and they, July of 85 was the article, I think. Yeah. And they had included SST, uh, and I'd given the writer, uh, I think it was Michael Goldberg, something like that. Gave him a ride back to the airport while we were rapping. I managed to get a get a quote landed in that article where I was saying like, "Yeah, well, hey, if you're working at SST, you got to be ready to sleep on the floor." <laughs> um, you know, it was definitely that uh, kind of up until that, pretty much. You know, most of the people were just sleeping on the floor in the office you know, under a desk or, or what have you, you know, like we saw that there's actually in the, we got power book. There's a picture of Carducci just laying in his little bed there when we had gone down to the Phelan office to do the black flag interview. And there's other pictures within the, uh, uh, the Phelan office, but that was like, I don't know how I, I couldn't have done that. I mean, the, I had living in that bus was like a, a penthouse suite. Compared <laughs> to what you had, a, you had a good, yeah, they were all in the same room at the same time. Right? Like, I don't know if you uh, uh, Carducci has a rap about uh, Jesus and tequila. They couldn't. They, they were, you know, people were in the room all the time at SST. Then that they could not play punk rock, or people would just get into weird discussions or arguments. So he would just play country music all the time. Right. And so D Boone was working there, and that's where I guess he got the idea to write. 
uh, Jesus Tequila was like going to be his country hit or something like that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but yeah, that was those were the bad old days. Like we would visit there. But, you know, it was like, oh, here, let's go outside and take some band pictures. Like, we couldn't even couldn't even stay in that that room. The room was just so heavy. And I'm, and I'm not talking about stench. Just the so just so intense. I'm like, oh, let's just go outside. You yeah. know. Well, from uh, from from the outsider's perspective, that's you know, it's been romanticized. But I don't suppose you know, uh, after well, a, a, a year of doing it, it was overly romantic. Yeah, if I if the, you know, I may have some. Uh, negative things about Ginn, but his work ethic, the vision and work ethic uh, was amazing. And, and Dukowski as well. Yeah. Um, right? Those guys were s- smart, very smart dudes, and but also hard workers and willing to put everything on the line. It was yeah. just amazing. So, I, you know, I, in, a, in a sense, I'm just, I'm coattail. That's just, is it? In, in a sense, it's, a cakewalk for me. You know, I could go back to my mom's, I could drive back up to Santa Monica, you know, 20 minute drive. See, Cause I, you know, I still, I had a car. Um, so, you know, it, uh, you know, it was uh, a lot easier for me, but you know, for me it was invaluable um, experience. Just learning, was able to learn, a, you know, about kind of corporate dealing with corporate stuff and business to business things. I mean, it, right. uh, Dukowski taught me a lot of stuff that, that helped going forward. Right. So, um, I mean, it seems like a lot of people that worked at SST were kind of, you know, doing everything. It was all hands on deck by yeah. the sounds of well, things. Well, I mean, Mugger, Mugger, Mugger was all in, right? Yeah. Spot was pretty much, they were, those guys were all in. Rollins, all in. You know, and then, I mean, the Rollins thing was crazy. He didn't have any connections out here. Yeah. You know, it was get, literally, get in the van, you know? That's, I mean, that's, whew. I, I couldn't have done that. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I went, I uh, graduated from um, press agent to uh, booking agent. And around that time, you know, uh, well, before that, before I came in there uh, with my sister, Dave, with Dave Markey, my sister, you know, we had started doing the Love Dolls films. We did Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, which was the story of an all-girl rock band and how they kill and fuck their way to the top. Right. It was shot in Super 8. It was just a homegrown thing. Um, you know, we were all big Red Cross fans. And they were big John Waters fans, you know, or whatever. You know, we kind of just mixing all this this stuff together to put this 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 film together. And then worked on a sequel, Love Doll Superstar. So I was at SST by the time we were getting Love Doll Superstar together. Okay. Uh, so I was able to talk Greg and Chuck into doing a... Uh, VHS uh, production and distribution deal for uh, Love Doll Superstar, the sequel, and then also the Love Doll Superstar soundtrack. Right, uh, and you're you're, actually, you're heavily you're, involved in both of those. You're you're on the soundtracks. You're in the oh, movies. Yeah. You, I yep, think yep, you you yep, helped. Yeah, write. yeah. I'm the I'm as the producer for for Love Doll Superstar, executive producer for, uh, well, producer for. Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, executive producer for Love Doll Superstar. But yeah, I played bit parts in 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 all of them and was there for a lot of a lot of the shooting for both of them. I mean, Marky was, you know, his films. Uh, but yeah, we were definitely a part of all that. You also play the teacher in the Slip It In video? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
we did that, you know, the, the joke on that, we did that video for a, a, the, the budget was $35 plus bus fare. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, that's why I was I was at SST at the time. So it was a little easier to kind of coordinate stuff. Right. We had run into a guy. His name is uh, David Travis. He now he runs a club called Cafe Nela. Okay. His sister is Abby Travis. She plays in the band Sumo Princess, but she's played in like Spinal Tap and uh, plays bass for a bunch of. She played in Go Go's Bangles, etc. Right. At the time, uh, David Travis was a young kid, a, another big SST fan, and into other stuff as well. But he had his he had a, a broadcast quality video camera and a VHS editing bay in his house. Wow. So. I think he had brought it. I don't remember how the whole thing germinated, but it's like, hey, let's do a slip it in video. It may be probably Dukowski uh, seeing all the pieces and putting them together. But it's like, OK, um, yeah, definitely. Dave does. You know, Dave is the director. Right. Uh, what Marky used to call Dave's uh, Dave's uh, film and video thing. He call it Marky Vision. You know, OK, yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave is in charge of Marky Vision. Right, which which is its own pick. I mean, he's influenced some of my. It definitely influenced my photography. So, Dave will Dave will do the direction. Um, you know, I helped with some of the, I guess, production assistant, and then also acting as the teacher. Uh, and uh, Travis did the actual camera work, and then the 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 four of us were in the editing bay, editing the whole thing at at, at David Travis's place. We, you know, we made a, a few trips up to. Uh, Pacific Palisades to uh, to do the editing in Chuck's Spider-Man van. Uh, that was all one of the historic historic vans. Yeah, the the red Dodge van with a Spider-Man on the back. It had a Spider-Man Spider-Man on the yeah, back. Spider yeah. So no, if you ever hear references to the Spider-Man van, he uh, bought it. He purchased it with Spider-Man on the back. Yeah, I get. I don't need. That's it. You're gonna have to ask him on that. Uh, one of the, yeah, maybe. Well, that's for the seals with antlers. SST, whatever. Your next, your next swab one. <laughs> there you, you go. Yeah. You, well, no, he did. Dukowski's good for for all the remaining swab records. You can all if you can get a hold of him. He loves he loves to chat. You can definitely get some good good stories out of that. Oh, for sure. But yeah, that we did that video. Then actually, it aired on MTV. Uh, uh, ABC, the local ABC affiliate, had this video show in LA, like a Friday night videos thing. We we actually got it on there. Um, there was a little commercial too. There was a commercial for Slip It In and the Slip It In tour. I think on some of these on YouTube, you can find uh, the little commercial we 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 did as well. Okay. The funny oh, thing yeah, is, that, right? That, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. That main classroom was uh, Regis Ginn, uh, Greg Ginn, Greg and Ray Pettibone's father. He was teaching um, teaching at a at a place, uh, Harbor City College, which was the city college near San. I guess in San Pedro. It's also called Tuna Tech. Okay. But we used to, we were able to get into his classroom on a Saturday to oh, shoot cool. that. Yeah, uh, Jack Brewer's niece is in there. My sister's in there as, as the students. Right. Kim Pilkington. So it's a lot of we got power people plus uh, some I guess Pedro folks, friends of Sacrin and what have right. you. Right. Oh, and a uh, uh, girl by the name of Sandy Glaze who was like South Bay okay. scenester. They'll kind of hang. You know, all you know, some of these people have resurfaced on Facebook. So that's right. kind of cool. We did that as we did. I was able to help out with that as well. Okay, here's my tie-in to ask you about skateboarding culture because uh, oh, I know yeah. I know you were oh, like, really involved you. in that. So the the release we're we're going to put this interview in is the Seven Inch Wonders of the World, 
And cool. I know that came out on cassette. And I, I think it was Carducci who told me that a lot of the, the impetus behind really getting behind cassettes at SST was, you know, the mobility of the skateboard culture. And I mean, that's, <laughs> that's how I got into punk rock was through skateboarding. So yeah, like, were you, it sounds like you were kind of like ground level for those two things oh, yeah. kind of coming together. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, well, no, I, 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 that, that, that's the first time I heard the, that, that rap for cassettes. Now that, see, now that would be, that's like a totally killer discussion that would go down at SST or global. Yeah. You know, like the whole rap about, oh yeah, the skaters, you know, they skate around, they've got their Walkmans, they've got to move, blah, 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 you know? Uh, yeah. And, and they're, you know, they're all, you know, <laughs> that I could totally see that discussion <laughs> happening like between Carducci, Ginn and Chuck. And I, and I would love to have been the fly on the wall uh, for that discussion. But no, that's the first time I heard that specific rap. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was a skater. You know, I, I landed in Santa Monica, right? Santa Monica was the is dog, you know, part of Santa Monica is, is the thing called Dogtown, which is the, the birth of radical skateboarding. Arguably, the first frontside air was done here by Tony Alva and the Dog Bowl. And then there was the, what, Sierra Stesic wrote, these stories about the whole agro dog town, Tony Alva, Jay Adams, you know, plus the Ze the Zephyr, uh, Jeff Ho, Skip Engblom, all that, all that crazy stuff. Yeah, I I was kind of on the the periphery of that, you know, as well. A little bit a little bit younger and a little bit like scared of those crazy guys. Right. Uh, but there was a skate shop in, in what I call Eastern Santa Monica, Rip City Skates, that was about two or three blocks from And Dave and I lived a block from each other. And then Rip City Skates is another block away. And they had not only have skateboards in there, but they had pinball machines. So you could just kind of hang out in there. Oh, to cool. me, it was always like a bar without alcohol. And the, the guys, Jim and Bill, that run the shop, they still run the shop after 40 fucking years. You know, they were wow. easy to talk to. It's like where I'd heard, you know, they just... Like, that's where I heard uh, fresh fruit from rotting vegetables. Somebody had given them a tape. Skater had given them a tape. They're like little older dudes. But they'd give them the tape, and then they're playing it. I'm like, what is this? You know, holiday okay. in Cambodia. It's like, whoa. Um, so, but there was, you know, skateboarding in that whatever, mid to late 70s was aggressive. And it got more aggressive. And and the infusion with 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 punk rock at the time. I'm really Devo, right? Devo is the, was the, was the first kind of, you could say the, the first skate rock band or the godfather of skate rock bands, right? They were using all the skate imagery, right? The freedom of choice video was shot at Marina skate park. And I guess the other tangent there, right? The circle jerks group sex cover was that group sex. That photo was in the bowl, in the bowl at Marina skate park as well, a picture of people just hanging out. They were having some uh, punk rock gig there, right, but yeah, yeah, it was, that was a real, it was a real thing. But I guess my contribution to all that was getting, um, SST Pettibone and rip city together to do a black flag skateboard. Oh. So I don't know. Was that, I don't know if maybe it was at SST. It must've been at SST at the time, but I was able to get that whole thing going. I bet they sold a few of those. Well, not not as many as you think. They, you know, they. I think they retailed for about forty, fifty bucks. There were, I think, four, five different versions. The thing is, the fur the 
The first one was No Net Ever. I mean, it was Pettibone artwork with the Black Flag logo on it. Okay. Uh, it was like this demon on a trapeze, and it just says No Net Ever. You know, so it was like uh, trippy. But the, the second one was like a picture of Joan Crawford, and it said Mommy Dearest. So it was like it's kind of like <laughs> um, fucking with the uh, hardcore skate punk aesthetic. You know, that was a you know, very Pettibone thing. And like I think right. with the Rip City guys were just like, hey, we'll take what we can get you know, and just see how it works. There's actually a video on YouTube uh, called uh, something about history of the black flag skateboard. Uh, Just look that up. And that has the the detail on that whole thing. Uh, But yeah, it was, um, I kind of helped set that deal up. And then we're we're about five boards from, from that. But you know, those were all pretty much single pressing and then it just went away. And then, you know, 10, 20 years later, Oh, here's this thing called the internet. And then that first, black flag board as i think it's one of the most the the highest price paid for uh i guess punk rock skateboard on ebay oh. that board i think went for about eight thousand bucks whoa yeah uh you know and yeah whoa especially since like i have one that's thrashed it's on the wall at rip city skates i sold another one to pat hullet of uh, the nip drivers for 20 bucks right. you know like i don't even have i don't even have these things it's like uh like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see it because, of course, you know everything that I know about Raymond Pettibone is there's there's no way he's going to draw like some Jim Phillips st- style, you know, thing no. to to appease. Well, I, I you know, it was it, it, Jim would come down, yeah, no, and I, it was it was at the it was at the Redondo Beach, the Artesia, Artesia Boulevard thing. It in the you know it was a it was a series of off you know small offices and SST rented an office with a, like this kind of garage thing under it. It was a two story piece. And that was the up upstairs was, was global downstairs was the practice pad. Then they also rented another room next to that. That room was Pettibone's studio. Okay. So he was living there. So when, uh, and that's probably how probably part of how the deal happened. So Jim was able to just come down, visit me at work and, and, and Ray was just right there to talk to him. But I think Ray, generally, for a lot of his projects, would just he just he'd be you know writing stuff all the time and just hand them out. Right. You know, I don't know if they were necessary. I don't know it's if it not was specific uh, uh, for a you know, yeah. Although the although the no net ever one that 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 made a lot of sense. And I guess the mommy dearest, if you wanted to fuck with uh, macho skateboarders, was also uh, you know, deprogramming. I think the one after that, I think we did a loose nut board in a process of weeding out. Okay. Um, yeah, those, those were, those were pretty heavy too, but those, those first two were, uh, the, the, the just the kind of custom, you know, custom images. And, but you know, a lot of, but the bulk of it was booking, you know, I was booking the, we were, we booked some non SST stuff, but also the, the DC threes, the DOS Domins, painted willies, uh, paper bags, Lawndales, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, you know, Chuck would take the big, you know, black flag was like his baby. Um, and I also, he also had a good, uh, good relationship with Mike Watt. So he was booking the established acts. And then I was trying to, to break out the harder ones, which was really, it was hard. It was, you know, it was really, really intense, hard stuff to do, trying to make a tour happen. You know, I'm sending these guys out on the road, uh, for you know, like if I'm lucky, it's a fifty dollar guarantee, and and if I'm lucky, there's you know 
there's a gig after that where they can get another $50, right. you know, hopefully not less than, you know, 200 miles away. So they could actually uh, afford to get from one place to the next. But I did quite a few of those tours. Yeah. Um, did you, that, that did you stay in the business after you, huh? after you left no. SST? No, I left, I think 88, 89. I was uh, negatively retained by Greg Ginn. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> The, the the title was I think the uh, it was for lack of attention to detail, to me it was more kind of you know it's just inability to make the impossible happen. But right. you know whatever it was just uh, I was not as efficient and as gnarly as Mugger, Gin, Dukowski. You know, you know Mugger Mugger actually was you know have you have you spoken with him yet? No, no. You should. Yeah, you definitely should chat with him. Tried um, a few times. Yeah, he's because he's, you know, like in all that craziness, that little feeling office, the little one, he's up in the corner doing calculus homework. You know, he's taking a city college class while, you know, doing tours and running all the, you know, running all the books for SST. Right. At the same time, he can tune out all that other stuff and get, you know, his college degree, you know, coming from, from, from nothing with, I, you know, I don't know had any real mentorship or anything but he was able to get all that stuff done so there was just a certain point where i guess you know i just burned out yeah um you know i was booking a tour for hr that was really that was really hard to make that they had a lot of expenses but i couldn't you know couldn't really get the get the guarantees up so uh you know i think it was just uh it was time for me to go uh after i had joined um chuck had hired a guy called steve call Steve Cole actually went on to um, he 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 run he runs a major firm uh, or a partner in a major firm called the Agency. Okay. Uh, he took Dinosaur Junior and Sonic Youth. Ultimately, took them with him when he left. So oh. and you know was able to 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 parlay. So he kind of made it into the big time. I had come to SST as a fan. You know, it was right. It was not didn't and I'm not not really I'm not a musician or or whatever. So. When, you know, when it was was time to leave, it's like uh, I had started working with computers. I had integrated a Commodore 128 into the process of booking tours. I had a little um, word processor and a little database where I could um, put tour schedules together and actually had a, a mail merge program where I could use the database to spit out contracts. Um, Naomi Peterson was our secretary. Okay. Uh, you know, I talked about Naomi Peterson before. Yep. She was also like staff photographer for SST, but she was also Chuck had hired her to uh, you know help us. You know, there's all this uh, paperwork to do for these tours. They all needed uh, contracts written up, needed to be sent out, needed to get signed. Uh, schedules need to be communicated to uh, SST proper for promotion, et cetera, et cetera. And Naomi did a lot of that stuff. Okay. Um, then we had some other people in after her, but there's a certain point where it's like the, the, or whatever assistant left and then no one else returned. So it's like, well, look, I got this little Commodore 128. Let me see if I can make this work. There was one other, there was one other PC at SST. Mugger had brought in this IBM PC. I don't even know what the hell they were using it for, but it was out. This was when we were in Long Beach. You know, there was more space. It was kind of in this main area. I, I never... I was like scared of that thing. I wouldn't touch it. <laughs> it probably but, uh, required a lot of space. 
Yeah, I had a Yahoo. I don't even. It was just this. You know, I didn't, I didn't even know what they were using it for. You know, maybe they had their Lotus one, two, three spreadsheets on there. I don't. I, I don't know. But, uh, but that's how crude it was. That right? There was no yeah. internet. It was just phones. Anyway, so uh, so the thing is, I figured, well, okay, I'm going to exit the entertainment industry here. Here's a good. Oh, the other thing is, showing the films, right? Or, or working with the films. We didn't. After Love Doll Superstar, we didn't really have another follow-on thing. The SST video thing didn't really work. Yeah, we've heard I had that. a couple of I had a couple of ideas for a couple of videos. Like um, I wanted to do a little mixed piece. I wanted to do a, like a Born Too Late film, um, mixing a couple of tunes together. I actually, had a story for that. Have you done Born Too Late yet? No, it's coming up. Good. Oh, fuck, yeah. class. Yeah, it's great. Uh, well, I had a little like mini kind of rock opera thing there. Um, and I wanted to do a SWA 10 Miles of Hate video, had a concert, but we could just never, you know, Marky was in another, you know, he's either on tour with Black Flag on the In My Head tour or just out out doing other stuff. So I wasn't doing any film stuff, showing the films. I, while I was SST, I was able to book like a little East Coast tour for the Love Dolls playing live with screening the film Love Dolls Superstar. Right. There's another New York film, underground filmmaker, Richard Kern, who actually had helped a bit with some of that. And a guy, Steve Blush, the guy who did America's Hardcore, right, yep. helped out a little bit with that. And we you know, also had taught with Mike Gitter, uh, who does Triple X fanzine. You know, he's just re-released a book. So you know, we were able to, you know, it's able to do a little bit, but screening, showing the films was, was hard. And there was no other kind of, uh, I don't think I could make a, make a living of there. So I'm like, okay, fuck the entertainment industry. Uh, hey, this computer stuff looks interesting. Let me go. You know, we did six months tech school and then got a job at a place connected to the Internet. And I've been working with systems connected to the Internet uh, since then. I was kind of head, heads down in the 90s, didn't go to a lot of gigs or whatever. And then kind of resurfaced um, 2000s-ish and then started shooting photos. You know, kind of got into digital photography. The book happened or whatever. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I, I follow you on Instagram and I mean... It, it's cool that you you know you're still friends with with Dave, and yep. uh, seems like you go to a ton of shows. No, actually, I haven't I haven't been to any in January yet. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, what is it? Flesh Eaters. There's a heavy gig. Flesh yeah. Eaters and yeah. Run Honey at the Echoplex next week. Wow. And I don't think I, I think I have to be out of town for that. So I'm kind of chomping at the bit. Mm. And then why? You know, that's the other thing I mentioned before. Back in '82, '83. Sacrin Trust, Minutemen, Descendants would play three times a week. It was so fucking great. And those were just great gigs. Yeah. But now, but the good thing is now, it's like Watt still plays. He plays a couple of times a week. He's got two lineups, you know, and they're playing, you know, he plays a bunch of punk rock covers and stuff too. Well, at least two lineups, right? Second Men and The Missing Men. Yep. And it's just, so it's still good that I can still see Watt, but I still haven't, haven't caught Watt in... 2019 yet but yeah still still try to get out out to gigs and then also you know i'm also recording you know like when spot when there's heavy stuff i'm live streaming that stuff too right. yeah like the uh i gotta plug the you know did spot finally got to do a photography show in hermosa beach which was really important he did you know it was a block away from the church this yeah. art gallery called what's it called pacific coast gallery it was they they did reprints these there's a, there's a, what is it like a five foot print 
of Dukowski and Black Flag playing at Pollywog Park. You know, that it's a one picture. It's just, it's so amazing. And it was showing right on Pier Avenue, a block yeah. away from the church. It, it seems uh, like it, in 2018, the, you know, the community is starting to maybe embrace that heritage a little bit, like with the mural and the, uh, Man. not the mural. <laughs> The people with the $300, the people that are so heavy, they live on the Strand, have $3 million houses on the Strand. <laughs> They're attorneys, accountants, or whatever. Gentrification. They go, <laughs> right. They go to the place that's a church. It's like a hipster Mexican food thing, and they've got their $15 burritos. And in the corner are some old paste-up flyers. It's just, that's just fashion. You know, it yeah. could be some Warhol reprint or whatever they i don't think they'd really care right. but there is the mural the other thing actually there is the mural right there's the uh, 20 foot high 30 foot high mural on a parking structure that references it's it's really about hermosa beach or south bay hardcore in a sense the main image is uh supposed to be a greg Ginn. But he's got a little SBHC written on his guitar, which Ginn would never fucking do. It was, that was not, um, and he never pandered to the to the scene. Yeah. But I mean, so yeah, in some respects, there is some adoption, right? It was because Pennywise became, right, became They're the kind one of champions of, the, of it, maybe. Well, the uh, well, the, the the platinum punk thing, right? And then there's enough, and and then uh, you know, who I guess enough things were able to happen. That uh, yeah, it's it's more of a more of an accepted thing. Actually, there's a little uh, uh, there's a a blog here called the LAB, which is uh, run by Bob Lee, and uh, who plays drums in Watts bands. Okay, amazing dude. Uh, and Elise, I forgot her last name, but uh, Elise actually. There was some discussion between about this mural and, and Janet Housden, right, who was the drummer for Red Cross, right. made this rant about, you know, no, this is, you know, you know, it's like I, I, I remember getting fucked with by Hermosa police, et cetera. So, so she had made this rant. So there's actually a story on the L.A. beat about the mural, you know, that, hey, things weren't so peachy keen back then. Right. <laughs> Everyone's looking back through rose colored glasses, maybe. But, but it's it's kind of nice with social media you can have those kind of discussions it starts as a, as a Facebook chat and then Elise can post it onto her blog and then make periodic updates as more maybe she gets a hold of more people to chime in and stuff like right. that it was cool for whatever for just to see spots pitched in yeah for sure so one thing I usually do Jordan is I ask people to go ahead into the catalog and tell me like some dark horse picks but I thought maybe you could tell us about annihilate this week which we're coming up to in a couple of months yeah you have a connection to that album <laughs> yeah yeah i am the all right i'm the i'm the cover model on annihilate this week uh, i play the uh character uh scambo the party warrior um <laughs> right who's got his uh his uh he's he's there in his his camo gear and uh uh like the what is it the little belt with instead of am ammunition it's loaded with uh, lighters, right? And and a, and a big bong that uh, <laughs> looks like a like a mortar or a cannon or something like that, right? And then probably posing... didn't have to go too far to find those props, maybe. No, well, actually, so the <laughs> lighters, lighters uh, were from Universal Sewing Supply. Um, 
Universal Slowing Supply was a company that uh, this guy Cliff Samuels was involved in, right? right. Cliff Samuels was was kind of around it at, at this time, okay. Um, more as like mega fan, right? Um, it, he, his parents had owned Univers- uh, uh, St. Louis-based uh, sewing supply company that was, I guess, quite successful, and that oh. afforded him to a he moved out to L.A. for a little while. But he also would fly. He was able. He flew me out to the Midwest to catch a bunch of Black Flag shows when they were on tour. Oh, okay. Um, so in the film Reality '86, there's a bit with uh, Lotus Turbo Esprit right. driving around, and it's got the the license plate says "Gig Gig Gone." That's Cliff Samuels' Lotus Turbo Esprit. Yeah. So his, his name's come up a few times on the podcast. Well, I, I from my understanding, he pretty much runs. At the whatever version of SST is or was left, oh. he was he was handling most of the business for that. Okay, it was the last story that I heard. So that's why you definitely have to talk to him. Okay, uh, if you can get a hold of him, because he will have he will be great for that. You know, the last hundred fifty so or so right uh, releases, or at least be able to dawn on some of those. So yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, Annihilate this week. Yeah, it was just uh, right. I guess collection of live live tracks and i was able to do that little uh photo shoot and then the essence it did, well, the problem is didn't i didn't i don't i guess i didn't release my other calendar so that was just the the calendar motif behind the picture is uh just numbers or whatever oh, similar right. thing yeah. Yeah. So it didn't have my art i didn't get my artwork in there as well but yeah no that was uh the live 85 that or the the what do you say yeah the, the live eighty five tour the loose nut tour that was a heavy a heavy lineup yeah I was listening to the um, who's got the ten and a half um, review the podcast you guys were doing and you were I think you were reading some of the bits talking about the Kira stuff right right yeah that as far as I guess dark horse stuff or whatever it's like what's your favorite lineup that Bill Kira you uh, know, Anthony. Bill Peer, Greg Henry, that was yeah. heavy. That was heavy stuff. Plus the whole, pr- the process of weeding out the instrumental. I mean, those, that was such, such intense times. Yeah. Yeah. So it was sure. good to, be, uh, uh, to model some of that uh, experience. And by the way, we had, when Black Flag played the Palladium, they played the Palladium, which is one of the, in the Hollywood Palladium. Right. Which, uh, was one of the bigger venues in LA. They were they were uh, playing with the Ramones and Minutemen opened. Yeah, I think that's the cover of Henry's book. Yeah, yeah. right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was Black Flag had played I think the night before in San Francisco, and Chuck and I drove down in the Spider Man van, and or maybe it might have been a different van, but we had a whole box like this whole box with like hundreds of Universal Sewing Supply lighters, and right before black flag was about to go on i was trying to get onto the stage to throw the lighters out <laughs> but one of the the stage guys stopped me he's like no 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 you're not doing that <laughs> <laughs> that would have that would have been a little a little too crazy change the course of history if you would have yeah. had your way well no henry would have <laughs> probably just got nailed with a bunch of lighters yeah, there you go yeah <laughs> he, he he did us a few 
Well, listen, Jordan, this has been really fun talking to you. Really appreciate you taking the time to, to do well, this. Well, yeah, hey, uh, I, yeah, I, I hope it helps. And, and thanks for doing, uh, thanks for doing the podcast. I've been drilling it, drilling into them, not listening to them, uh, sequentially kind of this is, you know, I went, I think I heard the, some of the Dave ones and now poking around, but like the, that first Ostomin one, you know, the interview with, uh, I think the the podcast interviews they add a lot of context to it. Yeah. Your guys is your format. The format's good. Thank the reviews, you. your, the picks is very interesting because right, it's like it's a the, it's the book club thing, right? But yeah. you definitely <laughs> have to read the book, right? Yeah. But you were right to uh, nuts head cases to do something like that. Well, that, that's um, kind of what we're hoping to do is maybe well for one we're turning ourselves on to some stuff because i haven't heard you know a, a lot of the stuff we're talking about i'm hearing for the first time myself and uh, right. hopefully you know it gets other people to hear and, and and talking to the it's great to talk to people like chuck dukowski but it's also great to talk to dos Dahlman because it's just yeah. something you don't you don't you can't find anything okay. about those guys dude, dude alex uh, cc totino it was good to hear him again yeah uh yeah he's uh that was funny but the thing and that was one of the attractions to me to working at sst was to hang out with dukowski ginn watt d boone etc and talk with them or at least listen to them talking about music they just i used to i used to the the term i had was music nazis they had such refined thoughts about how music should work or whatever and but it was like fat like you like this was it. This is like, this is how it is, you know, like just whole conspiracies and, and all this kind of crazy stuff. So <laughs> I think this, your podcast, it, it definitely has just talking about music. Uh, there's, there is merit to that. Yeah. Not for everyone, but uh, the people that are interested in it can seek it out. Yeah, for sure. In a sense, you could say, you know, you're either swa or non swa. <laughs> in this case, you're swap. And what happens to the non-swap people? Well, you know, you will watch them destroy themselves. That's right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jordan. Really appreciate Thank it. You. you take care. Bye. See you around. All right. Very cool to listen to Jordan. And uh, I mean, we've had some really great people on this show. But what struck me about that interview is it was just laden with so many tidbits of info yeah. <laughs> just yeah, so many so many tidbits i loved mm -hmm. it i loved it and a nice dude right and uh i don't know about i, I thought i heard him say brant i think he said we're swa <laughs> well we are look i always tell people you know often this half happens off air but you know if we ever get kudos from a guest it, it always means way more to me because uh, these are the people that were there and lived through yeah. it. And, you know, if they appreciate what we're doing or think we're doing a good job, it just means the world to me. So, yeah, me too. No, that's that's huge. And I mean, totally appreciate him taking the time out, too. It was uh, a real treat. Yeah. To, uh, to listen to him spiel it for us. I pulled out a few things that I liked about that he that he said that I wanted to follow up on. One, he does not want to know Mojack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he definitely doesn't that's nope. okay though yep it's it's just it's just the name of the show <laughs>
Uh, uh, but I, but I do I do still kind of want to know Mojack. I can't wait till we get there. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a good primer for some of the stuff we're coming up to, like Desperate Teenage Love Dolls, I think, is in a couple weeks. And, you know, he had a hand in that, so that's cool. And it's a little bit of a look back, too, because he, uh, we bring up Chunks, and that was a real early mind-blower for him. Probably my, my favorite part of the interview, though, was when he was talking about the Slip It In video. And yeah. that, like, speaking of tidbits about how it was shot in Regis Ginn's cl- classroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, he mentions, like, it's actually called The Story of the Black Flag Skateboard. He mentions this video, and I, I looked it up on YouTube, and he's in it. Like, he's kind of the, you know, it's him and this guy, Jim McDowell, who I think is the owner of Rip City Skates, who he mentions in the interview. And uh, they they talk about, you know, kind of the story behind how those Black Flag skateboards came to be. And it's a really interesting story. And uh, I think also in in our interview, he talks about the Super 8 commercial that they shot for the skateboards that Dave Markey shot. They show that in this this YouTube clip, the story of, of the Black Flag skateboard. It was, the interview was done around the time that um, We Got Power had a, like a gallery type showing. I, I, I'm, I'm gathering it was around the time the book came out. Yeah, and if people haven't checked out that book, it's awesome. I, yeah. I got it basically when it came out. It's awesome. Yeah, it, it's really great. So yeah, we'll post the story of the Black Flag Skateboard on our on our Facebook page. But yeah, that's kind of my highlights of the Jordan Schwartz interview. Do you want to get into the Seven Inch Wonders of the World? Yeah, let's do that. History Lesson, Part 2. Okay, so like I mentioned at the top, well, we've been through all of them at least once before, some of them even twice. I thought, Brant... I don't know what is the best way to go through this in your mind. I want to make sure that we mention the episodes where we uh, we went through these releases. I've kind of got those, but um, I wondered, we should probably go through what were our ballot result picks, too. Yeah, I've got all those here. Okay. Well, why don't you walk us through it, then? Sure. So the first four tracks are from the Nervous Breakdown 7-inch, which was SST1, and obviously... Obviously, when I say the catalog number, the our episode corresponds with that, if you want to go back and listen to it. And uh, the four tracks on that are Nervous Breakdown, Fix Me, I've Had It, and Wasted. Should I quiz you, Ryan? What are you going to quiz me on? If you know what our ballot result pick was. Oh, it's probably Nervous Breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just and... thinking, that's episode one, that's like, uh, what, a year and a half ago for us? Yeah. Oh, man. It's I probably go... terrible, hey? Yeah. Well, I want to go back and listen. My voice no, has probably I changed don't... since then. <laughs> <laughs> my, vo- my voice is probably cracked since then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tracks five through seven on... I, by the way, this originally came out on cassette. I'm pretty sure you have it on CD, right? Seven Inch Wonders? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can still you can still get it on Discogs for like twenty five bucks. Yeah, it's the only place that, uh, like, I can't get a copy of that Overkill single, and I'm not a huge fan, so getting it on disc is perfect for me. Yeah, well, I'm gonna give you the A side and the B side because this originally came out on cassette. So tracks five through seven on the A side are from the six pack, 
7 inch, which was SST005. And the tracks are Six Pack, I've Heard It Before, and American Waste. And do you know what the ballot result there was, Ryan? American Waste. No, it was I've oh. Heard It Before. Really? Oh, okay, yeah. well. And, what do you know? And both of those singles are available also on SST21, the first four years. Now, I, I don't know if you n- noticed this, Ryan, but they skipped or chose not to put on SST003, the Jealous Again 7-inch. Yeah, and I don't know if that's some, something that uh, was going on with Ron Reyes when they put this out. I don't know. Yeah, hard to say. Uh, 8 through 10 on the A side are the TV Party 7-inch. Uh, that's SST12. The tracks are TV Party, I've Got to Run, and My Rules. Different version of TV Party too. Yes, it is, yeah. What was our ballot result there? My Rules. Yes, it was. But, okay. you know, I listened to this again. I wasn't going to listen to any of this, and then I did, and I'm glad I did. I've Got to Run is fucking awesome, man. You've got... Bill Stevenson is just killing it on drums. And if I'm remembering right, it might even be Bill Stevenson's debut recording with the band. Um, you've got the Duke on this killer bass line to open the song. Uh, the Ginsinerator is in full effect. Henry's on fire. You've got Dez on second guitar. It's really good. Yeah. Oh, I definitely listened to this again. And it was like, it was a pleasure to listen to these tunes again. Yeah. Uh, still on the A side of the cassette, tracks 11 through 15 are the Meat Puppets in a Car 7-inch. That's SST 44, so we're jumping way ahead. Uh, the tracks are In a Car, Big House, Dolphin Fred, Out in the Gardener, and Foreign Lawns. Isn't it Dolphin Field? Oh, sorry. I can't read my own writing. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely can't remember what the ballot result is on this. I what 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 was interesting reading like uh, not reading, listening to these all again is that like my opinion of these tracks hasn't really changed at all mm-hmm. since we went through it the first time. Yeah, and uh, I'm still not a big fan of this in in a car single at all. Same. I love the Meat Puppets, but I could live without this. Our pick was in a car, by the way. Okay. And to round out the A side of the cassette. Uh, track 16 through 19 are the Overkill, Hell's Getting Hotter single. And the tracks are Hell's Getting Hotter, Our War, Burn the School, and Don't Want to Be Told. And that's SST008. Our ballot result was Hell's Getting Hotter. Okay. And I still think I still think the song Our War sounds like a Circle Jerk song. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely the Overkill that I like better than the stuff that came later, for sure. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so I, for uh, me, same with the Worms tracks too. I like this Worm better than the stuff that came later. Hmm. Flip it over to the B-side, and we've got um, the Minutemen, tracks 1 through 7. It's the Paranoid Time single, SST002. The tracks are Validation, The Maze, Definitions, Sickles and Hammers, Fascist, Joe McCarthy's Ghost, and Paranoid Chant, which I still think sounds like Grandpa Simpson on vocals. <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess we did Definitions. We did, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I would have lobbied hard for that. Yeah, you did, to my recollection. And the uh, this is also, this single is also available on SST32, My First Bells. Uh, tracks 8 through 9 are the 8 Miles High, Husker Du, 8 Miles High s- single, 
and we've got the tracks eight miles high and masochism world that's sst 25 any guesses ryan what we picked for the ballot result eight miles high of course <laughs> yeah it's my that is my favorite song on this entire cd still oh yeah 100 percent. yeah uh tracks 10 through 11 are uh, some more husker do it's the makes no sense at all single and the b-side is love is all around that's sst 51 and we of course chose the a-side for that yep and then the the comp ends off with the worm we're off i'm dead seven inch sst 11 the tracks are we're off which was our ballot result pick i'm dead and the cover of time has come today that's it and the time has come today by originally oh who did it originally Come on. If anyone should know this, it's you. Oh, shit, man. I can't remember. Oh, my God. I know. Well, I know the Ramones did it. The Chambers Brothers. There it is. Yeah, the yep. Chambers Brothers. That's a nugget for sure. Yeah. What else? Uh, I like the the uh, the title of the, the comp. The Seven Inch Wonders of the World? Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. It's a reference to, like, the Seven Wonders of the World. I don't know oh, how many wonders. Yeah, I don't know how many wonders of the world there are now. I think there's eight now, though, isn't there? Uh, I think the eighth wonder of the world was Andre the Giant. Okay, well, he counts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that was official, though. I don't think he made the wonders of the world official list. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good compilation. It's a great place to get all these good tracks. I'm still, you know, for sure, you know, Black Flag. Minuteman, Husker Du are definitely top of the list out of this collection of singles for me. Husker Du, Eight Miles High would be number one for sure. And uh, nothing has changed since we went through it the first time, but it was kind of, uh, it was good to hear them all in one go. I don't know. I was rocking out to Overkill and Worm, but you and I have always differed on our opinions of that that band. One, one thing I was thinking about was back to the Carducci interview, because I remember asking him something along the lines of like, and I asked him like, was the idea to kind of to put this comp out to keep the stuff in print, but not keep the singles in print. And he kind of debunked that and said, no, we, our, our idea was to keep the, the singles in print. But, you know, like I said, this originally came out on tape in 1986. It didn't come out on CD until 91. So I'm wondering if, like, you know, I can't imagine that they were trying to keep Overkill and Worm in print, you know? Yeah, those ones dropped off for sure. That was the Program Annihilator episode when you were right, talking right, with him. Right, And, uh, yeah, he didn't really buy into that, but I still think there's some truth to it. Yeah, his theory was more about having a cassette, you know, for availability or, like, yeah. uh, you know, it just a more accessible format for the times maybe and i mean if you think about it you know my first thought was like when we were doing this was like was it really necessary but i mean if it if it came out on cassette how many did they even do for starters and it's not yeah. it's not like it's expensive to do or anything so it's probably a no-brainer you know yeah oh we should mention one thing ryan the cover photo was taken by Ni naomi peterson like those are it's not photoshopped that that is a photograph of the singles sitting like on a table or something yeah and you can tell because they are some of the singles are 
you know, exactly square, but then like the nervous breakdown and the eight miles, the eight miles high one is just like mine where it's kind of got an arched top on it, like the actual sleeve. Right. So yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> that was probably the only option for something like that in that era. Yeah. Mid eighties. Yeah. You couldn't scan them or anything like that. Probably at that point. Very cool. Hit me with your ballot result. Ballot result. Well, I was going to ask you, Ryan, do you remember our, your, your and my very, our, our very first um, time we butted heads about a ballot result? Do you remember? That we butted, well, I, yeah, no, it, it happened so many times. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you I can guess what you're going to pick though. Okay. Can I guess? Sure. I bet you you're going to pick, I've got to run. Uh, no, I would, but I was what? I was going to throw it over to you, Ryan, because our oh, okay. our very first time that we we clashed over a ballot result was SST 001. Our first did I want fi- I I probably wanted fix you wanted me, fix right? me yeah so I was gonna yeah. I was gonna say do you want to do fix me? Oh, you're so gracious. Why don't you put on I've got to run though because I think it is a less known gem that people should get into. Sure. There you go. Let's do let's do that. All right. Hey, one more time, thanks to Jordan Schwartz for for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Defo. Been trying to get that cat for a while. So, Ryan, what's next week? So next week is SST seventy one, the Leaving Trains, doing the the record Kill Tunes. I think it's we've mentioned the Leaving Trains a couple of times before on the podcast. Um, certainly when we've been when we've been talking about Ethan James and and uh his studio but this is the first leaving trains and it's an lp looking forward to it me too hey everyone thanks for listening you can find us on facebook instagram twitter tumblr all at mojack pod we post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show our blog is mojackpod.com please check it out for some exclusive content If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.